The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to skip the intro, please refer to the timestamp listed in the episode description. Thank you. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It's August 31st right now. We are just getting past the big super moon, which to me, looking out my window, didn't seem that exciting. But I also like went to bed and there was trees in the way. So it looked cool in some pictures I saw, but I think everyone hyped it up a little too much. I was underwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't actually say it. I feel like it was cloudy here and then I just went to bed. <laughs> so I didn't say it. <laughs> yeah, I was like PMSing. So I was being emotional yesterday. And I was telling my parents that I'm mad that they're going to be eventually moving to North Carolina and that it's quite rude of them to not stay here forever to be with me. <laughs> so I was, I was literally like crying about it for no reason besides hormones. And then my mom was like, basically like shut up and go look at the moon so i went and looked down out my window and i was like i don't even see it okay <laughs> nice try at deflection <laughs> yeah um mm. but I, don't, I feel like for full moons like people haven't been too crazy but definitely I, a mild see, I was gonna crazy. say the opposite i reckon maybe it's just, and i'm just thinking mainly about online what i've seen online everyone's crazy <laughs> true i've been like, avoiding the on? internet because i was pmsing and tired <laughs> so but in real life, it's been okay. I feel like during these times is when the internet gets the worst because people feel more comfortable to say whatever they want on the internet without any fear of repercussion. Whereas mm-hmm. in real life, you're not ever going to go up and say these things to anyone's face. So it's they may be less crazy face-to-face but more crazy online. Yeah, the internet's awful. This week, even though I wasn't on, I tried to be offline a little more the last few days. I was reading reading my dumb little fantasy books. But there was a few times where I looked at comments on articles, which is always a mistake, where I was just like, I totally like lost my faith in humanity. People are so fucking mean about mm. the dumbest shit. Such haters. So yeah. miserable. No compassion. Like, what is life? <sighs> I think everyone's just extra bitter these days. <laughs> I know. And I think it's just shitty people like that are the ones that comment. Because I'm a nice person, but I'm not commenting on these articles because of the fear of getting harassed by the shitty people. So I know it's kind of just like a little microscopic view of the shitty people of the world, but still mm. like what is happening? Fun times. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's going on with me? Oh, and for the people who listened to last week, if you were surprised by my AI generated timestamp <laughs> disclaimer, you're welcome. Cause I just, <laughs> I'm sick of the people who don't want to hear the chat telling me that they hate the chat and me being like, we have a timestamp. So I thought that was the best way to just get it out to everyone so that the people who don't want to hear the little 10 minutes of chat don't have to. And the people who do will listen. So I like hopefully- him. I think we should leave him in. <laughs> I was going to record a, a new just like disclaimer and include that. But I just kept forgetting to do it. And when I edit, I don't always have my microphone. So I was like, oh, let me just like try this. But a bunch of people said they think it was funny. So maybe I'll just leave him. <laughs> I think his AI voice name was Graham. We love Graham. Yes, we do. Um, so I went to the fair that I talked about. For those dying to know, it was fun. It was I had some good food. I had some street corn. I got some toffee, lots of beef jerky, empanadas. Um, what else do I have? I had a like a frozen cheesecake on a stick dipped in like that cherry oh, yeah. shell. It was really good, but it was big. And just walking around with it, it got so dense. I couldn't even finish it, which is such a shame because I fucking love cheesecake. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was fun. And then we got the toffee and like all the nuts and all that stuff we brought home. And I'm a toffee monster. I used to not like it when I was younger, but it was more like, I don't think I ever even had it, but you know, when you're younger, stuff like that, you thought of just like, that's something that like adults like, so I'm not going to like it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I thought it was like a grandma candy, like peanut brittle. But then I started having it and I was like, this shit is crack. And I would not stop eating it. I like wake up in the morning and have a little piece like a psychopath. (laughs) <laughs> it's so, so good too because you really only need fan. a tiny little bit because it's so sweet oh my god it's so good but yeah it's all gone already 
<laughs> Especially so with my hormones being out of control. I was like, this is my girl dinner. Have you ever had Scottish tablet? No, I don't even know what that So is. that is kind of like, it's like a fudge toffee type thing. My husband loves it. Like that, if anywhere I go and I see, it's actually called tablet for sale. They, mm. He's like, buy it. Buy. So I always buy it for him. But again, you just break off a tiny little piece. It's so sweet, but it's very delicious if you ever see it. Definitely sounds like a grandma candy. <laughs> Child me would not approve. <laughs> I'll have to be on the lookout. Yes, definitely. And what's going on with you? You have your, your party coming? Party coming, one week to go. So I've been checking the weather. The weather's looking all right, hopefully. Some say rain, but it seems warm. So as long as it's warm, that's fine. But yeah, other than that, not much. I was just saying it's the first day of spring here, but my older daughter has woken up sick, so that's a good start to the new season. Um, but yeah, not that's too much. normal for a season change, though, at yeah. least, I guess. I feel like there's like a ton of viruses going around. I've even felt a bit off for a little while. I, I, don't, I don't know. I just thought maybe it was just part of life, but maybe it is a weird virus or something. Um, yeah, but other than that, not too much. Pretty quiet, pretty quiet till this week, and then hopefully just warming up, getting more... I was going to say getting happier, <laughs> getting more, you know, alive, more energy. So fingers crossed. I'm looking forward to that. More joyous in life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm ready for fall here. I know we say this every episode. You're ready for warm. I'm ready Change. to be out of the warm. Yeah. Even it's finally about to be September here, which I know in my head, it doesn't even get really cold here till November, but even next week, in September, it's going to be like in the 90s. Sick of it. I'm sick of the shit. I think at this week, they're expecting it to be almost in the 90s here. So that's like a few days after the real end of winter. It's crazy. Ugh. Yeah. I am ready for fall weather. I almost bought at the store today. Do you guys have those, probably the little slice and bake like Pillsbury cookies that have like the little pictures on them? No, well, we have- Like so the sugar ours, cookies? Yeah. Ours come in like a log. Like We have it, both. Yeah, so I, the only ones I've ever really seen are kind of the log where you slice it yourself and then put them on the tray. Yeah, those ones, they had them at the store today and they were pumpkins and ghosts. I literally took oh it God. and put it in my cart because I love those stupid little cookies. And I was like, it's still summer. And I put it back. <laughs> <laughs> next time, next time. I know, all the false. You were saying that there's Christmas stuff out already. Oh, I haven't seen my Christmas gosh. stuff yet, but. I feel like I was talking to someone else. I posted it on my Instagram and someone, like a lady from Australia messaged me. She's like, it's always after Father's Day. Like this was a week ago that I saw it. So I don't know. They're going wild. Like, and I know that we don't have Halloween or Thanksgiving here. So essentially kind of Christmas is the next big thing. But over the last years, Halloween has been getting bigger. So I thought maybe it would be like a Halloween um you know section but it's not yeah. it's christmas santa they got decorations giant santas i'm like oh my god i remember we used to always say it was immediately the day after halloween especially <laughs> when i worked in the mall that was when stores would start putting out like their holiday stuff like the pre-holiday stuff and I, is that what i think santa like came to the mall pretty soon after halloween Definitely, because he after Thanksgiving, I feel like would be late for the mall. I feel like Santa usually doesn't arrive till like the first of December or whatever, like the f- closest weekend to the first of December is. Maybe but, it was yeah. like right after Thanksgiving here, but the mall was already in pre-holiday phase one, right after mm-hmm. Halloween. Because for us, Halloween is like pretty massive. Because yeah. basic bitches like me included, we love some Halloween decor <laughs> <laughs> and being spooky. So that's a big one too. <laughs> but yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for some fall candles, pumpkin stuff. I did get a pumpkin spice latte and pumpkin iced coffees already. I didn't wait for the actual fall for that. So. <laughs> funny, it's so funny because pumpkin stuff is really not a thing here. Like, right. I don't even know if you can buy tin. Like, you can buy fresh pumpkins, but I don't know if you can buy tin. I've never seen tin pumpkin unless it's in like a international section of the supermarket. International. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that like pumpkin flavored drinks are not like maybe if you went like we and the thing is too we have hardly any starbucks we used to have tons and then i don't know years and years ago they shut down most of them so in sydney there's a couple you know this is a few here and there so maybe there you could get pumpkin stuff but like i feel like 90 percent of cafes and stuff would have no pumpkin options <laughs> it's funny because it's standing with coconut i don't love actual coconut or actual pumpkin like I don't really like pumpkin pie or things like that, but coconut flavored things and pumpkin flavored things like the coffees and stuff like that I like, but I don't want any pumpkin pie or anything Mm. like that. (laughs) And coconut, the flakes, 
That's why I don't like the texture of the coconut oh I flakes. I love coconut. Like I'll always pick like a coconut chocolate or, you know, coconut shrimp or something like that. I love it. I like that. I can deal with it. Maybe I'm getting better with coconut because I do like coconut shrimp. Like the ones at my wedding were so fucking good not to bring mm. that up again. And like Samoa cookies I like. But sometimes I just bleh, I don't like I don't like it. <laughs> All right. It's funny because one of the mean comments we got, not mean, like they don't really hurt my feelings. This is someone being like, we don't need to hear what you guys ate. And I'm like, do we really talk about what we ate that much? What, here but we then again. we'll get the opposite and people will be like, I love hearing what you ate. <laughs> yeah. But just funny because that one I looked at like two days ago and I was like, we don't talk about food that much. Excuse me. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. My life revolves around f- snacks. Clearly, that's all I talked about this whole time. <laughs> The fair snacks and, oh my God, yeah. and the fall snacks. I'm going out tomorrow night too for hopefully for like a banquet, a, a beautiful Asian banquet. I've been looking forward to it ever since we booked it in. I can't wait. Like we only have so much to look forward to in life. The <laughs> world is in shambles. Yeah. Let us have our fucking little snacks and little treats without shame. Let us know your favorite treats, everyone. <laughs> We'd love to discuss. All right. Anyways, enough. Enough chaos. We are talking about Still chaos, some vacation nightmares today. We're going to talk about two specific ones. We figured since it was the end of the U.S. summer, it'd be a good time to do this. One we're going to talk about is Ellie Warren, which is a mysterious death that is in an inquest right now. And then we're going to talk about the case of Heather Mack. She um, killed her mother with her boyfriend while they were on vacation and out of all the cases we post, I feel like this was the one where the most people message being like, oh, like I went to high school with her. Yeah. I have someone that knows her. My dad was friends with the mom. My mom was friends with the mom. I was like, I don't so many people know them. Yeah. It's just, it is a wild case. Like, when, like I always yeah. kind of knew the basics, but when I started looking into it, I'm like, wow, there's a lot going on there. Even the aftermath is crazy. Yeah. All right. So let's start with Ellie Warren. So she was a 20-year-old Australian woman and she died in Mozambique, which is in Africa, in 2016. And an inquest is currently being held into her death because a lot of people think that she could have been murdered. So cover up, maybe. Yeah, like a cover up, a lot going on. For adventurous young backpackers, Tufo on Mozambique's spectacular coast is a must-visit destination. But two years ago, 20-year-old Australian Ellie Warren was found dead in the -the off-the-beaten-track paradise, her body callously discarded near a toilet block. Since then, it's been a living hell for her family in Melbourne and made worse because detectives in Mozambique seemed more interested in ignoring the homicide than investigating it. Their attitude infuriated Ellie's dad, Paul, so much, he decided to travel to Africa in the hope of uncovering vital clues. His journey is heartbreaking and bittersweet, but as you'll see, he succeeds. Where are you from? Australia. Australia. 20-year-old Ellie Warren lived for adventure. Like so many young Aussies, she had an insatiable desire to see the world and meet new people. Ellie was a girl that really, you know, she knew what she wanted, what she wanted to do, and there's no way in the world that I could have stopped her. Even Nicole says, her mother says the same thing, there's no way possible. She had her dreams, and she loved the African people and the culture there. She was full of life. She was always happy, always on the go. There was never enough hours in the day to get Ellie's, uh, to get all the things done that she wanted. Um, she'd get up in the morning and she would yeah, cram as much as she possibly could into her day. But when Ellie set off on her latest trip to Mozambique in 2016, her divorced parents, Paul and Nicole, could never have imagined it would be her last. Devastated family and friends have paid tribute to a Mordialic woman killed while travelling in Mozambique. Ellie Warren's sister spoke of the heartbreak. Now, two years on from her death, the family is united in searching for answers while still coming to terms with a completely botched investigation, which has allowed a killer to roam free. Ellie 
Ellie was born and raised in Victoria, Australia, and she attended Parkdale Secondary College. She had plans to study marine biology at James Cook University. Her stepfather, David Caffarella, said she was off to New Zealand when she got back and then to James Cook University to begin her studies to become a marine biologist. Her great passion and what she wanted to do with her life more than anything. Ellie has been described by friends as outgoing, loud, and curious about everything. So according to the Sydney Morning Herald, Ellie had traveled to Africa and had completed a six-week stint as a volunteer with, with an eco-education company called Africa Underwater. During this time, she'd been diving alongside marine scientists looking at reefs in the area. Um, another marine biologist named Allison said any chance Ellie got to don a wetsuit and jump into the cage with the white sharks, she was there enthusiastic and ready even if the water was cold and the visibility was bad she also said she was so excited to head to mozambique and meet the mantas and the whale sharks the last contact i had from ellie was a messenger post gushing with excitement to tell me about how beautiful mozambique was and how happy she was to be there ellie had been staying for the bulk of her trip in a bungalow that was part of casaberry a popular diving resort we believe that she had a few days left of her trip and that she was due to head back to Australia soon. She was staying at Mozambique's popular Tofo Beach, which is a magnet for divers, surfers, and backpackers. It's known for its lively nightlife and dotted with backpackers, hostels, and beach bars and restaurants. On Tuesday, November 8th, 2016, Ellie checked into Wuyani Periango Backpackers Hostel on Tuesday, where she'd left some of her belongings. This is the most widely accepted report of her movements, but some people in some articles do say that, according to the hostel manager, that she never checked in there. So there's already one weird discrepancy. Yeah. I feel like he might have just been trying to kind of do some damage control. Yeah, that, that yeah, would be a reason for that, I can think. Probably, like, not great for business to be like, yeah. oh, yeah, she was staying here. Um, so later that night, Ellie and some friends went out to celebrate the end of the program they just completed. Ellie's friend Jade O'Shea recounted the events of that night. She said the group had been at a local bar the evening Ellie was killed before heading back to one of their houses to enjoy some wine. Ellie disliked wine and told the others that she wanted to go back to the bar. And it seemed like she did in that she left the rest of the group. Jade said that Ellie looked normal when the group later caught up with her. Jade said that Ellie saw them arrive at the bar around 11 p.m. And Ellie said she would grab a beer and join them. This was the last time that Ellie's friends saw her, and she didn't come back with a beer. She didn't come back at all. Jade said, we assume that she went home to the hostel. A security guard was one of the last people to see her alive around 2.30 a.m. Before Jade left the bar, she used the public bathroom that was around 20 meters from the bar, and she didn't see anything out of the ordinary going on there. So a few hours later, on Wednesday, November 9th at 5 a.m., Ellie's body was found near the toilet block that Jade had used hours earlier. After her death, there were many varying and inconsistent reports. Some said that Ellie had been found with her underwear around her knees. But in Hambane Police spokesperson Detective Juma Douto said, It looks like a sudden death, and we are in doubt as to what could have happened. She didn't have a scratch, didn't have a bruise on her, indicating there was violence or rape. I guarantee it. I have total confidence she was not raped. The community here is shocked this has never happened. Everybody wants to know what happened. I feel like a red flag right for just like she was not raped for sure yeah, i can away, tell guarantee away. it like okay but just a few days before she was due to fly home to australia her lifeless body was discovered sprawled in the dirt next to this toilet block i got a phone call from um, my other daughter christy and she was hysterical over the phone. And then she settled down and she actually said, Ellie's been murdered overseas. And, oh, God. I tell you, my heart dropped. It just... It's just a phone call that no parents would ever, ever... It's just... I can't comprehend it. Well, initially, we were told that Ellie had been murdered um, and that potentially there'd been a sexual assault as well. So, again, from... A mother's point of view, very difficult to accept, not knowing who, how or why. It, it, it's hard enough to get your head around your daughter being killed overseas, but when you hear murder and, and sexual assault, it, how, how do you even begin to process that? Yeah. I still... I don't think we have really. Um, I think because we don't have answers to a lot of questions, it makes it hard to... There's really no closure for us. The same detective said witnesses saw Ellie go into the toilet block 20 or 30 minutes before a group of fishermen found her body. 
Eyewitnesses told the media at the time that Ellie's body did not show exterior signs of violence. However, despite this, right after Ellie died, her family received Australian government information from the Department of Foreign Affairs and the Australian High Commission in South Africa, suggesting that she was found on the beach raped and murdered. So Mozambique authorities said their preliminary report found Ellie had collapsed face down and died of asphyxiation. An autopsy directed by Johannesburg pathologist Dr. Patricia Kelp found no signs of rape or sexual assault. News Corps have reported the autopsy found sand in Ellie's lungs, a full bladder, and no trace of drugs. Ellie's father, Paul, confirmed that the autopsy showed bruising and abrasions around his daughter's mouth and a large amount of sand in her left and right bronchi, which he believes is consistent with being held down, probably at the beach like that one story said. Her father posted on Facebook saying, I totally agree with the autopsy from South Africa slash Johannesburg. As much as it pains me to say this, Ellie died a violent death. Despite being Australian, Ellie's death could only be investigated by Mozambique police. And it's now clear they were either totally out of their depth or just unwilling to uncover the truth. Forensic analysis found no evidence of drugs in her system, but still the first formal police report released six months after her death stated Ellie died from a drug overdose. They can't put their police report out, which was only a page and a half, and the first one came out with an overdose. But then you've got toxicology reports saying there's no drugs in the system. No, no, complete toxicology reports. Hair sample, liver sample from Melbourne, from, from South Africa... No drugs whatsoever. How do you think they come up with an overdose then? They sent out a second revised police report. They pasted and copied the autopsy results, put that on, 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 on the page, and then they decided that um, because the autopsy results said it was a homicide, they've decided now after four days that it's a homicide. So what's the credibility in that? There's no credibility whatsoever. As far as I'm concerned, they're not doing anything over there. This is the translated copy of the police report detailing the original autopsy results. Mechanical asphyxiation, the introduction of sand content, the obstruction of the superior and inferior respiratory airways by sand, direct suffocation that is being treated as a homicide. It's all there in black and white, suffocation, homicide. Yes, yeah. But the, the investigators just seem to ignore that. Well, I can't, and I don't understand that, Tom. The first formal police report was handed down six months later after Ellie died. Despite no forensic evidence of drugs in her system, the report stated that she died from a drug overdose. Ellie's father believes there has been a police cover-up regarding his daughter's death. He said, forget about the authorities. If you want to get something done, you've got to do it yourself. Her mother launched a petition on Change.org asking Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison for help in the investigation into the circumstances surrounding her death. The petition read in part, We asked Scott Morrison as Prime Minister of Australia to intervene in this case to put pressure on the Mozambique government to allow Australia to provide an investigation team to work with the Mozambique police to solve Ellie's murder and give her some justice. There's the issue of jurisdiction when a crime happens to a foreigner in a different country. Australian police sent Mozambique authorities emails and letters offering their assistance with the criminal investigation, but they did not respond. Australian Federal Police Commander of the International Engagement, Andrew Smith, said, We can't just go into another country and start doing our own investigation. Without the full cooperation and support from law enforcement in the country, the role that we can play is very limited. Ellie's body was sent home to Australia, where a third autopsy was conducted by Dr. Matthew Lynch. No clear conclusion was reached during his autopsy. Fast forward, in early 2023, Australian Federal Police traveled to Mozambique. In August, Ellie's dad gave an update. He told Nine News, they have suspects. We're hopeful now. We're probably more hopeful than we've ever been that somebody might be charged. So in August 2023, a coronial inquest was held into Ellie's death. Her father, Paul, said, Since she was taken from us over seven years ago, the family has felt we've had our backs against the wall. We felt we had little support from the Australian government and the AFP. Ellie was a proud young Australian citizen. She deserved a far more diligent professional level of commitment. Ellie's dad also spoke outside the coroner's court and said that he believed his daughter had been murdered elsewhere and moved to the location where her body was found. Paul said, there's no way thick sand could have reached that deep into her lungs. She was definitely murdered down down the main beach and her body was moved to that area. Now I think it's to sort of throw everybody off track and to cast doubt. Ellie's mother, Nicole, 
Caffarella told the inquest that she thought about her daughter every day. She said, I miss her today, tomorrow, and I'll miss her for the rest of my life. We're still waiting for the outcome of the inquest we made public, and it might take a while, so we will update you all when there's information available on that. We have mentioned it in the past in some other Australian cases that we've covered, but here, basically, when someone dies or when they go missing, there can be a coronial inquest by the coroner's court. And that is basically where they investigate to determine, this is from the website, to determine the identity of the deceased and the date, place, manner and cause of death. So it's kind of like I often wonder really what the point of this is because many, many times they'll come back and say undetermined and these hearings can go on for months and months and months. And essentially often it doesn't really change a lot of things in terms of the legal process. Like in Ellie's case, even if they find this is a homicide, I don't really know if anything much will happen from it. I guess for the family it's valid that their loved one you know either is still missing in some cases or did pass away for a certain reason they can make recommendations based on the findings so what I mean by that is for example if someone dies in a jail or if someone dies in a hospital they can recommend ways to change procedures and protocols so that that kind of death doesn't happen again Um, I just don't really like apart from the validation for Ellie's family that maybe she did die via homicide I don't really think that there will be much to come of the inquest, if that makes sense, in terms of the actual legal process and possibly prosecuting someone. I just feel like it won't happen because of the inquest. The main thing to come for it from for Ellie's case will be her cause and manner of death. Yeah, because Ellie has so much to go off of. Like, yeah. If the initial investigation was botched as like a cover-up, they don't have any of the real info really and even I've been reading a book um recently this week about Australian missing people and there was one story in there where the missing person's case went to the coroner and the coroner made a finding and then it went to the coroner coroner's court a second time and they made a different finding so I don't know I just like I don't get me wrong I love reading the inquest there's always a ton of information that comes out from them but in terms of the actual usefulness in the legal process I sometimes question how useful it can be So there is an Australian government website called Smart Traveler that offers advice to tourists. This is what the website currently says about Mozambique. It says, we advise exercise a high degree of caution in Mozambique overall due to the risk of terrorism and high levels of serious crime. Higher levels apply in some parts of the country. In 2016, the website said, Australians traveling to Mozambique should exercise a high degree of caution, pay close attention to your personal security at all times, and monitor the media about possible new safety or security risks avoid traveling at night. An academic named Associate Professor Kennedy said that he fears there'll be little progress in Ellie's case. He said, the homicide ruling is nothing and the inquest will not be anything substantial. I doubt anyone will ever be charged. If that was going to occur, it would have happened by now. It is an international dilemma and a jurisdiction dilemma that simply cannot be resolved. He urged the Australians He urged Australians to understand the potential consequences when they visit exotic locations that are cheap and exciting to live in. Tufo lies on the Mozambique coast, a 20-minute drive from the local airport of Inhambane. This country is still feeling the effects of a brutal civil war, so tourism here is a much-needed source of revenue. Uh, I arrived here last night and this is the first morning and, you know, this place has really got it. It's, it's a magical place and I can understand why Ali would, would really, would really love it here, you know. It's not hard to see why people would want to come here. It's beautiful. But it wasn't long before Paul was warned. Such beauty can come at a price. you're around. The embassy need to know that you are on your own investigative, just for your own protection as well, because Mozambique people disappear. I mean, this is, this is a banana republic, it's a civil war country, so it takes a nothing to take somebody out and dump it in the ocean. There is also, I was just quickly looking before we started recording, and there is another woman who, I think it's Sarah Harry... Rican. Um, she was 29 at the time this article was written in 2018. She is from Scotland, but she wrote a post on Reddit when she heard about Ellie's case and she wrote, 
I'm in desperate need of your help to make future tourists, especially female aware females aware of these dangers. I'm finding those in authority are desperately trying to protect the tourist industry of Tofo Beach at all costs, including covering up a murder and attempted rape. She said, in 2010, I was involved in a serious incident meters from where Ellie's body was found. To summarize, a Tofo police officer tried to rape and threatened to kill me. Thankfully, I was able to escape. I then went to the police station, not knowing that my attacker was a police officer, to report the incident. At the police station, I identified my attacker, who then proceeded to try to frame me with drug possession and told the other officers that I was resisting arrest when witnesses found me struggling with him. I was then held at gunpoint until bribe money was accepted and I was able to escape for the second time in one night. The following days after this incident, I met with security representatives representatives from the Mozambique Tourist Board and the British High Commissioner. I was continuously told to drop the case and to be thankful that I wasn't going to be arrested, but I was determined to get justice. With two British consular delegates present, I was able to identify my attacker and two other police officers involved. The day I returned home, I received a phone call to tell me that the police officer that had tried to attack me lost his job and more serious consequences were forthcoming. I was contacted a few weeks ago by the investigation team of Ellie Warren due to our terrifying similarities. They'd found a TripAdvisor post from 2010 that an eyewitness had written and were remarkably able to track me down. Ellie was found in Tofa Beach 2016, and it just says a little bit about her. But basically, then she goes on to say that the they're covering up for the police officers involved and that she also found out that no one actually did get fired and that she was just told that. So it does seem like a similar story of what could have happened to Ellie. When you look at the photos of Tofo Beach, I think like it really gives you an idea of what the family are up against. Like it's a very, very, looks like a poor area. Like it, the, all the buildings are kind of corrugated iron and dilapidated. Like it's not like a bus- bustling city or even, you know, a little town. It looks like a very quiet um, area where no doubt they wouldn't have had the procedures and protocols in place to deal with this properly. Um, yeah. And if their main kind of industry there is tourism, I can absolutely see that being a reason for it being covered up. Yeah. It seems like a more underdeveloped area yeah. with nice beaches that attract tourists. Yeah. Like a very um, yeah rustic kind of experience. Yeah. So, I mean, I... I think she was on the beach. How else would she get all that sand in her lungs? I just wonder, like the one, I, I don't get me wrong, absolutely you do agree that she was murdered, but if they've said there wasn't really, I guess maybe the autopsy just wasn't thorough, but if there wasn't any real signs of sexual assault, I wonder what the motivation was, maybe robbery, but we've never really heard that her things were stolen. Um, but if they're covering up, they could have just lied. Yeah. Like yeah. if it's that corrupt, they could have just- And I guess, I guess too it could have been even along the lines of someone tried to have sex with her and she rejected them and they killed her. So that's why there was yeah. no sexual assault because it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. I think she was murdered or there is – she didn't, like, someone caused her death. She didn't just walk into the bathroom and die no. and get her lungs full of sand. No. So hopefully we'll get some answers or her family will especially get some answers, but it just – it's sad that there will probably be no real justice for her. And it's sad imagine. that there's there's no way – Like, we've talked about this with a few other cases. When it happens in another country, the family is just, like, victim to... And especially in a country that has very, very different procedures and protocols. Like, for example, if this happened in Australia to an American or to an American in Australia, I feel like the resources available for either would be comparable, whereas in this type of situation, there are no resources. There was no... Nothing followed. It just would be a whole other kettle of fish in trying to deal with... The scenario yeah and i guess that's part of the reason why the tourist warnings are so high for yeah. areas like this because there's really not much your home country can do to help you yeah it's in, in a country where there's not so much of an alliance or a relationship back and forth with you know agreement to help on these scenarios yeah sad story but we will definitely post more info when the info is available that one was um, suggested by one of our Patreons as well. So if you have any other suggestions, definitely let us know either on our Instagram or Patreon and we can definitely look into them ongoing. Yeah, I've never heard of her before. Neither had I, to be honest. Definitely... Even being an Australian, I've never – apparently her case has been on 60 Minutes, which you might be able to put some clips in and things like that. So it is quite a relatively high-profile one, but for some reason I just hadn't heard too much about it before we started looking into it. 
yeah, it's I'm definitely going to keep up with it and see if any more info comes out. Um, so the second vacation nightmare we're going to talk about today is the murder of Sheila von Weiss Mack. Her name is Sheila von Weiss and her married name is Mack, so you may see her referred to by both names in the media, by her daughter Heather while they're on vacation in Bali. Jalan, Jalan, Jalan in the jail. She's among the world's most infamous young female killers. I want to go to the beach today. Let's go to the beach. And yet incredibly for Chicago-born Heather Mack, this is Life Behind Bars. With access to her own social media account, she posts video of herself smoking, dancing, even partying. All while trying to raise her baby Stella inside Indonesia's Karabokan, one of the most notorious prisons on the planet. One, two, three. But first, how on earth did a pregnant 19-year-old who grew up in a wealthy Chicago family end up here? Paraded before the world as a money-hungry murderer, an American teen once facing an Indonesian firing squad for her role in the brutal killing of her own flesh and blood. Did you feeling stressed these days, really? Stressed? Mm -hmm. Yes. So Lois Heather Mack, which is Heather, was born October 1995 to Sheila Von Weiss and James L. Mack. James was a jazz musician and a composer and quite a well-known one, I believe. James was 66 when Heather was born and Sheila was 43. So Lois went by her middle name, which was Heather. She grew up in Oak Park, Illinois, and attended Oak Park and River Forest High School. Heather and Sheila seem to have a very tumultuous relationship. So between January 2004, when Heather would have just been nine years old, and June 2013, police went to the home 86 times. This is almost once a month on average. The calls were for domestic violence, theft, missing person reports, and 911 hangout calls. All of the incidents were apparently related to Heather and Sheila. Just to backtrack a little bit into some family history, Heather, James, and Sheila went on a Royal Caribbean cruise in 2001. James injured his foot while on this trip, and he apparently didn't get proper medical treatment from the ship's medical team, and this resulted in him being partially paralyzed. He filed a lawsuit against Royal Caribbean saying that he was partially paralyzed and that he had to urinate in a bottle. This case went on for years and years. In 2006, the family went on vacation to Greece. I believe that Heather was James and Sheila's only child, although James did have five other children from previous relationships. One of James's peers has spoken to the media about the relationship between James and Sheila. They said nobody could figure out how he ended up with her. He was definitely in a situation where he didn't want to be alone and he needed somebody. But in many ways, he was alone in that house. That was from one of James's colleagues called Melvin Williams. Melvin also said that Sheila discouraged her husband from socialising with their adult children and their families. So, you know, it seems like they were quite isolated, the three of them. Sheila wouldn't let him see his other children apparently. So it seems like a very um, kind of like a pressure cooker situation. Neighbours of the family have also spoken. Georgia Parcham, who was a neighbour, said Sheila was a lovely, charming woman and that she encouraged Georgia to enrol in literature courses at the University of Chicago. The Max apparently also held parties involving artists and friends. On the vacation that they went to in Greece, James died on August 6, 2006 in his hotel room from a pulmonary embolism. In the decade after her dad's death, perhaps understandably, Heather began acting out more and more. I felt that Heather, after her father died, began to slowly see her mom as a bit of a competitor for attention. As she got into middle school, um, yeah, she was becoming, you know, very defiant and not wanting to listen to any rules. And Sheila and I had many, many talks. And, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, there's a reason the term troubled teen is out there. But did Heather's troubles go beyond that of a normal teen? She started skipping school, hanging out with a rougher crowd, and even began stealing large sums of money from her own mom. What did Sheila tell you about what was going on behind closed doors? Well, she told me that she was being abused by Heather. I mean, she was constantly being attacked physically, and Heather had an explosive temper. I mean, there's no question about that. She would erupt at the slightest provocation. In fact, over a 10-year period, police were called here on reports of domestic violence more than 80 times. She would uh, bite Sheila. She would 
hit her. And to, it was to the point of bruising. Sheila sustaining serious injuries? Well, Heather pushed her one time in the bathroom and she fell and broke her arm. So this is just kind of the background into this family and their events and, you know, what kind of led up to this whole situation. Um, in January 2010, Heather allegedly punched Sheila in her broken ankle, which, oh, God, that would be painful, and Sheila accused her at the time of stealing $1,000. In February 2011, Heather broke Sheila's arm and disabled the phone so that Sheila couldn't call for help. In December 2011, Heather was arrested at age 16 for domestic battery, aggravated battery, and battery charges, all involving violence against Sheila. Heather was found guilty of battery and was ordered to attend counselling with a focus on anger management. So some of the incidents between Heather and Sheila have been made public and they include Heather biting, punching and hitting her mother. In the one incident, Heather, Sheila broke her arm while defending herself against Heather and Sheila told police repeatedly that Heather needed counselling because she had mental health issues. So the reason that we kind of brought up the Royal Caribbean lawsuit was that in 2011, which was 10 years after James got his injury, a settlement was reached. After legal fees, Sheila received around $340,000 and James's estate got $500,000. So despite prior to his death, around five days before, he had apparently written a will and left his whole estate to Heather. Despite this, though, the $500,000 was awarded to Sheila. In November 2012, Heather bit Sheila and left a bruise and police became involved in the incident, but Sheila refused to let officers photograph her injury. So this is years and years and years, this kind of abuse between the two went on. Sounds exhausting. (laughs) When Heather was a senior at Oak Park High, she began dating Tommy Schaefer, who was two years older than her. Tommy was a real winner. He was an unemployed (laughs) rapper known as Tommy EXX or Tommy X. I don't know how you say it. Anyway, (laughs) whatever. doesn't really matter. Um, Sheila did not approve of their relationship, not surprisingly, and she ended up selling their home and moving Heather and herself to the Gold Coast in Chicago to get away from Tommy. Despite this, Heather became pregnant at least twice by Tommy. She had two abortions and Sheila was seeking to obtain power of attorney over her to enforce a third one. They were waiting on final blood work to determine if Heather was really pregnant when Sheila booked both of them, as in herself and Heather, a vacation to Bali. doesn't really (laughs) seem like great timing to me, but maybe they just needed to get away. So Sheila flew herself and Heather first class to Bali just as a cost that would be, I would estimate, over $20,000 just for those flights. They arrived on August 4 and stayed at a hotel in Seminyak before they moved to the St. Regis Hotel in Nusadua on August 9. So I had a look at this hotel. It's still in existence. It looks unbelievable. And now I'm getting all ads for it. So that's very disheartening. (laughs) This is a review I read. It said, an absolute breathtaking experience as last stop on our honeymoon in Bali. We've not experienced luxury like it before and I truly hope we will again. The restaurants, the beach, the lagoon, the setting, all of it was superb and I'd recommend every aspect. And then it kind of goes on into how amazing the service was. Like this is a true, true, true luxury hotel. The hotel's current rates appear to be around $10,000 a week for two people just in like a normal room. So, Oh, wow. It does look nice. It just looks. Yeah. It looks beautiful. I'm jealous. Um, And the thing is too, Bali is like I'm generalizing because obviously there are beautiful hotels like this, but you can go to Bali and stay in a beautiful place generally for very cheaply. Like there's beautiful villas and other hotels that are quite cheap. So to actually be spending that much money in Bali, it would be unbelievable. Yeah, like they didn't have to spend this much money to go to Bali. Mm Mm-hmm. After Sheila and Heather arrived in Bali, Heather stole Sheila's credit card and booked a $12,000 business class flight to Bali for Tommy. So this is why I'm estimating that their flights would have been $20,000 if they're paying $12,000 for one business class, I'm assuming a return flight. Their flights would have been more. So Tommy arrived in Bali two days after Heather and Sheila checked into the St. Regis. On the night of his arrival, there is CCTV of him arguing with Sheila in the hotel lobby. It's kind of a little bit iffy as to what actually happened, but I'm assuming at some point they ended up back in one of the hotel rooms and Tommy ended up beating Sheila to death with the metal handle of a fruit stand. Once Tommy finally landed in Bali, the endgame began. Police reports uh, indicate that then there was then a flurry of text messages between Heather and Tommy, basically trying to map out how this murder was going to play out. Heather and Tommy were text messaging back and forth uh, after Sheila and Heather had gone back to their suite. Initially, though, as these texts reveal, the plan was for Heather to kill her mother herself. Tommy writes, try your best. Can you whack her in the head with a big-ass pole? Mac responds, can you? Tommy, yes, come in the hallway right now. 
Heather, too dangerous not to do it. G, you have to come in. Tommy, here I come. At one point, Tommy brings a fruit bowl, a glass fruit bowl with a metal handle to the room. The very one used to beat the life out of Sheila. It's believed that once he came into the suite, Tommy hid in the bathroom while Heather waited for the right moment, still texting as she did. Plan, Heather asks. Tommy responds, she's so awake, I gotta hit her. Heather, can we suffocate her together? Is that thing hard enough? What if she doesn't KO? And then in the last few texts the two would send before the crime, they write, let me just creep up and whack her. Once I do it, she was drunk and slipped and fell. Heather, okay, just knock her out. It'll be much easier. Tommy and Heather stuffed Sheila's body into a suitcase and they wheeled it to the lobby. They then hailed a cab and put the suitcase in the trunk. They told the taxi driver they were going to check out from the hotel and they'd be right back and then they did a runner. When that didn't happen, hotel security guards opened the trunk and found blood on the suitcase. They told the taxi driver to take it to the police station where the police opened the suitcase and they found Sheila's body. So I can't believe they just tell the taxi driver, like, uh, we're not dealing with this. You drive this to the police station. I don't know why they wouldn't have called the police to come there. I don't know. But again, this is like protocols in different countries. There's even photos of looks like probably either a security or a police officer who's got badges on standing there, like touching the suitcase, no gloves, you know, just nothing. Covered in blood, like. Yeah. It doesn't look like there's a spot of blood or could that be blood? It's covered in blood. Yeah. Yeah. So Tommy and Heather fled the scene, but they were found at a nearby motel and they were arrested. They initially told police that Sheila had been killed by robbers, but that they'd managed to escape, which, you know, great story. Yeah. Sheila's body was taken for an autopsy at a hospital in Denpasar. The head of forensics said that there were signs of violence on her body, indicating that she had fought before she died. The medical examiner said, we found scars on both forearms and a broken left-hand fingernail. That indicated a resistance in a fight. So on August 20, 2014, a urine test confirmed that Heather was pregnant. Police didn't believe her story at that time because they thought she may have been making up excuses in an attempt to be sent back to the U.S. Just why she might want to be sent back from the U.S. I think a lot of Australians are quite familiar with the prison conditions in Bali because a lot of Australians seem to get arrested there. And, you know, we always hear about it. But this is about the um, conditions in the Karabakan prison, which is where she was held. It says there was murders made to look like suicide. There was corruption of the prison that allocates $1 per day per prisoner. There were wild sex nights where men paid for sex workers to enter the prison and prisoners would take turns, cheered on by the guards. The men share a squat toilet, usually blocked with feces and stinking out the cell. Poor locals will spend months locked in this cell without being let out once. One man was in prison there for 12 months over an unpaid bill where his wallet was stolen. This man said his wallet and phone were stolen while in Bali and a dispute over the unpaid bill left to his arrest. He was charged and imprisoned for almost 12 months along serial killers and pedophiles. While he was inside the prison, he witnessed murders and saw prisoners die of drug overdoses. He said the water is infected and you get rashes, so you get sick every second week. He said he slept on the floor among rats, cockroaches, and ants with no money to barter for food or water. Like, Sounds insane. <laughs> it, like when you see photos of this, there is no – it's wild. Like it's how – it's it's even – I'm not sticking up for prisoners, but there is no human rights there. There's no treatment of the prisoners. It's horrible. And then even for yeah. someone to be stuck there for a year for an unpaid bill, I don't know what the bill was, but like, do you know what I mean? They're just, there's no consistency or no um, punishment based on your crime. It's just whatever they feel like doing. It's just like an insane frat house of criminals. <laughs> I'm looking at the pictures. They're like just partying. It looks crazy. Yeah. And because there was a really kind of infamous criminal here called Chappelle Corby, who all the Australians will know. She was an Australian woman who was arrested for drugs in Bali. She apparently said that someone had put drugs in her boogie board case. Do you guys call them boogie boards? We have boogie boards, yeah. Boogie boards, yeah. So she had a boogie board and when the Balinesian officials opened it to check that it was full of drugs and she's, her story was someone must have put it in there or Anyway, so she was in jail for a very long time in Karabakan. She was kind of probably the most infamous Australian to be housed there. Mm. On September 19, 2014, Tommy admitted to killing, killing Sheila and Heather admitted to helping dispose of the body in the suitcase. On January 14, 2015, they were both charged with premeditated murder. The maximum punishment for this in Bali is death by firing squad. Tommy told police that he had killed Sheila after she had threatened to kill Heather's unborn baby and that Sheila had also attempted to choke him. So in 2015, Heather gave birth to a baby girl while she was in the prison named Estelle. They, that baby is known as Stella, so you might see it both ways in the media. 
As per Indonesian law, Stella was allowed to live with Heather in her jail cell until she turned two. Heather spoke to people in 2015 about Stella. She said she's everything. She has taught me what love is and she has given me a reason to want to live. She's given me a purpose each morning when I wake up. When Stella is awake, the days are good. I can't have a breakdown, but at night when she's asleep, it gets tough. As it was Heather's choice to keep Stella in the prison with her, she had to pay for Stella's food, clothes, and medical care. She did receive some money from Sheila's trust for this. William Weiss, who was Sheila's brother, said in 2018, big up to Heather for keeping Stella in jail so that the trust has to pay for her food as well as as well that she cooks and sells for cash to buy cigarettes, Coca-Cola, and chocolate that stabilizes Stella's diet. So despite being in jail, the jail didn't seem to provide anything for Stella. Heather had to provide it, and it seems like she wasn't providing very well. I think it's crazy that you're just allowed to have your baby live with you in jail can you do that here like like I guess like I get for maybe breastfeeding mothers you could do that but I don't know I don't know it just seems like this baby seemed to live there for a while yeah I I think between two and three years I think she might have been taken out after she was two so yeah yeah good start to life being in conditions (laughs) like that yeah. Um, so during the people interview, Heather also spoke about the relationship that she'd had with Sheila. She said she never wanted to be separated from me and she also hated everything about me. It was complicated. A family friend said it was like they were locked in an inescapable pattern, a gridlock. It's such a sad story. It was like a disaster waiting to happen. Heather said that after her father died, her relationship with Sheila deteriorated quickly. She did say, though, that she considered herself to be close with her mother. She said, there was a lot of good in our relationship. I don't know if I would describe us as friends, but we were close. Heather said she'd tried to move out of the family home when she turned 18, but she said that Sheila didn't like this and would send Heather pictures of suicide attempts that she made. And Heather told people that she and Sheila would bond over shoplifting together. She said, we'd take thousands and thousands of dollars worth of makeup. She told me no one would expect a kid to do that and have me steal it while she distracted the clerk. I wanted to make her happy, so I'd just do it. Heather also spoke about how her mother encouraged violence. She would egg Heather on by saying, hit me, hit me, repeatedly until she did so. And she also said the whole time they were in Bali, her mother was drunk and was taking prescription pain pills. Seems like they just had like a shitty, toxic, abusive, codependent relationship. It kind of reminds me a little bit, obviously not the same extent, as Rudy Farias, like that weird, you know, you can never leave me, you can never be without me type situation. Even like Gypsy Rose in a way, because yeah. that's kind of how it all started. She didn't want her to grow up and leave, essentially. Yeah. So Heather ended up being sentenced to 10 years in prison in Indonesia. Judges said they had given her a lenient sentence because she had just given birth and Tommy was sentenced to 18 years. In a bit of a twist that I wanted to add in, on September 23rd, 2015, Tommy's cousin Rob, Robert Bibbs was arrested in Chicago on federal charges for conspiracy after he allegedly told Heather and Tommy how they should kill Sheila. He was sentenced to nine years in prison in 2017. The plea deal that he took stated that he knew Heather had apparently asked Tommy to kill Sheila and Robert had offered advice on the best way to murder her. Messages obtained by Crime Watch Daily indicate Tommy never went to Bali for a holiday. In those texts to a Chicago cousin named Robert Bibbs, Tommy reveals he and Heather meticulously designed Sheila's murder. Tommy, that expletive Heather is crazy, huh? She asked me to do something really insane. She asked me to find someone to kill her mom for 50K. And that was a full six months before the murder. In even more messages sent just weeks and even days before Bali, Tommy and Bibbs discuss smothering the socialite with a pillow or even drowning her in the ocean to make it look like an accident. The motive? Tommy says it's all so he and Heather can inherit Sheila's fortune. Um, so in terms, you might be wondering how Heather could have afforded her legal defense. She was the beneficiary of a $1.6 million trust fund. The terms of the trust fund were that she would be paid small annual amounts until she turned 30, which is when she'd received the balance. The court did approve that $150,000 was approved to be released from the fund to cover her legal expenses. Sheila's brother, William, who we mentioned before, was the executor of her estate and he fought paying anything out to Heather. He cited the Illinois Slayer Statute, which states that if you're involved in a murder and you're a beneficiary of the trust of the person that you murdered, you lose all rights. In 2018, Heather gave up all claim to her mother's estate. It was said that she would not receive any property, benefit, or other interest, and Stella was then named as the sole beneficiary of the estate. So while Heather was in jail, she apparently hooked up with an Indonesian inmate named Raphael. Um, There's photos of them in jail. They apparently, like this is what I mean by in terms of the 
conditions of the jail. It seems like they just like live there and hang out. It says that despite being in jail, she seemed to have many freedoms. William, who's Sheila's brother, said, I've seen many pictures and videos on Heather's posts that show social media, show her out partying, drinking and going to restaurants. I do not understand how this happens in prison. It's just crazy. It's like she's dancing on Sheila's grave. She doesn't show any remorse at all. So it was rumoured that while she was in prison, Heather also became addicted to the local crystal meth, which is called Shabu. One of the first things we wanted to ask her about, these now infamous images, many of them selfies taken from inside the prison, showing what appears to be Heather having the time of her life. A lot of people might look at you, Heather, and say, this is a young woman, a young killer, they might say, with too many freedoms. It's been reported that you spend your days partying, that you're caught up in a salacious lesbian threesome in there, and basically you, you've, you've got everything that you could want on the outside. Is there any truth to that? I don't party. How would I party in a prison? You know, sometimes I listen to music, but I don't spend my days partying. I spend my days taking care of my daughter. They just, I don't know, it's wild. It's like it's a, like, the Wild West. <laughs> yeah, I can't decide if it's a good place to be uh, in prison or a bad place because the conditions you described before are horrific and scary, but she's just, like, living her best life, it seems. She looks pretty good. Like, she looks happy. She's got, like, the shorts and a tank top on. She's cuddling Raphael. She's cuddling with her partner. Yeah. Um, it looks so like they're cool. in a big room. It doesn't look like they're in a cell. It looks like they're in a common area. So this kind of, you know fraternization I guess was allowed. Stella was thankfully eventually removed from the prison and she was being cared for by a Balinese Australian person who Heather had befriended during the trial. Heather apparently saw Stella less than once every two weeks despite being able to request a visit at any time. Wait like it's just someone that she befriended it wasn't like yeah, I don't know, maybe someone who kind of tried to support her during the trial. I don't know. The whole thing's weird. It's just I don't know. Um on October 29th, 2021, after spending 7 years in the Indonesian prison, Heather was freed. This happened after she was granted a total of 34 months remission. Heather wanted to stay in Indonesia, not surprisingly, because she was out of jail by then. As she said, it was safer than Chicago. She said, the people are nicer and it's better and safer. Back there, I was getting in with a a bad crowd. So again, not surprisingly, Indonesian immigration denied this request and both she and Stella were deported. They're like, get out of here. Heather was arrested upon her arrival in Chicago in November 2021 and she was charged with conspiracy and obstruction of justice. As she went back to uh, jail in America, Stella was removed from Heather's care. In February this year, a judge named a cousin of Heather's as Stella's guardian. The judge also said that she wanted to make sure that Stella would not be used as a pawn or exploited in any fashion. So Heather had originally pleaded not guilty and her trial was due to start in July this year. However, in June this year, so just a few months ago, she pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to kill consp- sorry, of conspiring to kill a US national. Her lawyer said she did this to hopefully avoid a sentence of life in prison as the plea deal calls for a sentence of no more than 28 years. So she'd be out by the time she's 60-ish, let's say, you know, early 60s. Mm. Heather's lawyer, Michael Leonard, has been arguing for leniency at the sentencing. He said he would present evidence that Heather had matured and that she was a fantastic mother to Stella. Her lawyer said she's certainly not the person that she was. She's grown as a human. Michael said that Heather was able to spend time with Stella while serving her sentence in Indonesia and that her child is now her top priority. He said the most important thing for her is reunification with her daughter. So Heather is due to be sentenced on December 18, 2023, and Tommy remains in prison in Indonesia. So, yeah, that is kind of it in terms of up-to-date for that case. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those ones when you think, could this all really have happened? Still going on all these years later. So the last articles online were from June, which is basically where she just changed her plea to guilty. So, yeah, I guess we will hear more once she's sentenced a bit later on this year. All right, that is it for this episode. Everything for each of these cases will be on the blog at truecrimesocietyblog.com. If you want to listen to our episodes ad-free and listen to the weekly mini episodes we've been doing, we've been doing on Patreon, so check out our Patreon. If you do like the little vacation nightmares, we need to do a few other ones on Patreon as well. Um, so if you want to keep going, definitely check those out. Yep, and we've been doing, we did some headline news stuff that we're going to keep doing. So if you want 
a little more stuff, check it out. Um, leave us a review, a nice review. <laughs> comment on pa- on Spotify, subscribe, all that stuff. It's a big help to us. You can follow us on Instagram at True Crime Society to keep up to date with all the latest true crime news. And if you want to see what we're up to, you can follow us at mine is Steph Sum underscore and Olivia's is TCS Olivia. So give us a follow. Um, that's it. That's it. All right. Peace out. Stay safe out there. <laughs> See you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.